0: Thank you for listening to CASDA EdCast, CAS, where we explore issues and ideas of K-12 education and speak with teachers and administrators about their experiences serving the needs of students in our region. All right. Hello, everybody. This is Mike Piccarillo. I'm the executive director for CASDA. And welcome to a CASDA EdCast. Today's topic is anti-racist social-emotional learning. And we're uh, talking today with Alicia Holt, who is a consultant with Common Thread, a new CASDA partner. And we're happy to have Alicia with us. Hi, Alicia. How are you?
1: I'm good. How are you doing today?
0: I'm doing well, thanks. Uh, I know you're uh, busy with school and all of the... uh, you know, things that come along with the reopening of schools. So thanks for taking the time to be with us. Appreciate it.
1: Definitely busy times, but this is something that I love talking about. So thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, well, this is a great topic and uh, I'm excited to have this conversation with you. So can you talk a little bit about uh, what the genesis of the pro- of this project about anti-racist social emotional learning was? Where did Where did it come from?
1: yeah so um as far as um where it it comes from um so like big picture um Mm -hmm. i think um as humans like we always want to be better we always want to improve whether it's you know our health um fitness our efficiency um for me it was how can i uh reduce stress and how can i be more conscious and aware so big picture like that kind of was the question that like got me into social emotional learning. As far as this particular um project, um, May 24th is a date that sticks out. And I don't normally remember dates, but I I, I was just scrolling through Twitter and I came across this article. Um, <clears throat> and th- there were a few articles that have come out about uh, social emotional learning and anti-racism. But I believe this one was um when uh, social emotional learning is another form of policing. So I'm like reading it and I'm adding it to um, a website um, that I was managed. It was a culturally responsive education website. I'm like, oh, this would be a really good resource. I'm also commenting on, you know, the article and um, I wake up in the morning and there's like all of these comments and all these interests about the article about social emotional learning. And so I was kind of like, hey, wouldn't it be great if we created some space kind of sit down and talk about you know what does anti-racist social emotional learning look like like how do we create um social emotional practices that aren't policing or or that aren't controlling students and everybody was like yeah let's do it um and so i sent out a doodle that sunday night the next day was the 25th and that was the day that uh george floyd was murdered Mm -hmm. and um for me it felt like a gut punch um and so Uh, this project kind of like took a pause, like the conversation didn't happen. Everybody else was kind of like in their own self-care silo. And so I think um, someone reached out to me um, and said like, Hey, you know, we're kind of thinking about social emotional learning um, at the end of the year. Like, what does that look like? And then, you know, with all the conversations around the protest Um, there was more interest in like, so what does anti-racist social emotional learning look like? And I had done a a conversation prior. So I reached out to the people again. I said, look, I know we're living in a different world than when we were on the 24th, um, but could we get together and kind of think about what this looks like? So I met with some um, social workers and some community members. And that was important because they had been practicing this and they had been living this in, you know um in our new quarantined reality um and they kind of had an idea of like where the needs were um so we sat down and we had a conversation um about what was like what what did students um in the community need um what was important to communicate um and out of that came kind of some tools and resources and one of them being an infographic, which you know, the thought was, can we give educators a tool that they can use in the beginning of the year to connect um, with the moment and connect with students, um, so that they have like a place to kind of start building like these authentic, safe spaces.
0: Sure. Well, that that makes sense, and I appreciate you kind of outlining how this all developed, and you know, and and kind of where it what where it started and, and where you're you're going with it now. Why do you think it's important to link the concepts of anti-racism and social emotional learning?
1: Yeah. <laughs> so um,
0: I know that's a big okay. question, really.
1: <laughs> so like my head, like why wouldn't you? Um, <laughs> so it's like when you um, think about social emotional learning um, as like an umbrella, and under that umbrella, there are like all of these tools which we can um, use Um, for our own emotional management, um, evolution, all these tools that we can use to kind of help students. If we do that and we don't consider their identity and their culture, then we're really doing a disservice to the students because then it does turn into that kind of um, uh, social, emotional, it, it turns into that policing. Like I'm just telling you to do this because um, somebody else said it was a good idea um, or I'm just trying to create a comfortable, calm space, not actually trying to help you to recognize like who you are, how you connect to the moment, how how are you received in this moment? How are you navigating through this moment? Like what's going on inside of you? Um, So the social emotional piece just kind of asks like, what what is going on? What am I I feeling? Um, What is my body responding to? But the anti-racist part asks us, are we perpetuating a harmful pattern when we are communicating, when we are helping students process? Um, Are we just saying, hey, sit there and have a calm body um, because we we want them to stop doing whatever they're doing? Or are we giving them the tools so that they're able to say, like. Here's where I am, and here's how I get to um, a more balanced state of being. Um, Anti-racism like asks us: Am I marginalizing or dismissing why this student might be feeling this way? Like maybe they are, you know, they're upset because their voice wasn't heard. Somebody else may have um, violated them in a way that you might not have perceived as a violation, and and I didn't take, I didn't give them the space or the time to fully explain that. and then anti-racist social emotional learning also um, asks the educator, am I centering myself and my own comfort or am I centering the needs of each individual student and the community? Like, so as I'm you right. know, kind of creating this space, am I creating it for the quiet, calm, conventional controlled space or am I creating it so that I'm giving um, my students' tools that they' are able to use not only in the classroom, but also outside of school.
0: Well, I was reading just today. I, I was reading a little bit uh, to kind of prepare for our, our conversation. And uh, I, I came across a uh, a brief um, article, I guess I would say was an article, but maybe more like a blog post. And it was talking about educational professionals. And and specifically, uh, white educators who, in the article they were talking about, the feeling was that they're not prepared, they're ill prepared to really address um, anti-racism in relationship to social emotional learning, Uh, and that you know one of the terms that was used was racial trauma, and you know I, I I kind of that kind of resonated with me because I thought well you know, oftentimes if you're going to, you, you have to be able to empathize with, with another person when you're talking about social, emotional um, topics. And I guess I wonder about the ability of some white educators to, you know, actually understand this, this idea of racial trauma, having not experienced it themselves. So I was just wondering, you know, how, how does that how does like racial trauma, how does that fit into, you know, this conversation?
1: Um, so it's it's a huge part of this conversation. So racial trauma, there are so many um, different facets because it can manifest differently depending mm-hmm. on, um, you know, the environment or, you know, um, the, like the specific inc- incident that like a person goes through. Right. Um, and then, depending on that, it also is going to depend on how they're going to respond to it. Let's use, for example, the murder of of George Floyd. So thinking about it is just like it's another black or brown person whose life is taken um, by the state in this way. It almost seems like there's there's no thought, like it just it just happens automatically, right? So you see that played on TV. And then you link that um, maybe to a time where an officer came and they yelled at you, right? And they were, they were yelling at you simply because you were asking a question or you were scared, right? And I've seen that happen um, even in a professional space with other people, right? And so you start linking, you know, like things that you might see that you might not even be a part of to things that you have experienced in your own life and it starts to just like play that real and then it also starts kind of like those some of those physiological responses so it's almost like you you start becoming hyper vigilant um you start like kind of thinking like wh- what are all of the worst ways that this can play out and you start you know kind of bracing and and tensing for that so when you're in a situation where you know that it almost becomes, um, I don't want to say a part of the norm because, um, you know, it's not like it, it, it depends on the person, like where, where we are, like, could these things play out on, on a daily basis? They could, it, could it be like, you're, you're out with, you know, friends and there's an officer and like, they pull you over and, they, you know, they start like assuming and then asking like, all those things could, but you're always gonna in the back of your mind, you know, kind of be worried about if this situation is going to be like that. If you don't have an understanding of that, or if there's not an attempt to try to understand that, then you're, you're always gonna dismiss that person. You're always gonna dismiss their experiences. And then you're gonna assume like, oh, you're being overly sensitive. Um, Oh, like, you know, maybe if you change something about yourself, right? then this, this wouldn't be a situation. So if you, if you're not considering racial trauma, there's a pretty good chance you're perpetuating racial trauma. Right. So it's like accepting um, for, especially for uh, white educators and white people. Like one of the things that I would say, on, I would say is it like, don't, don't speak on things that you have no experience if you do not live in the body of a black or a brown person, then that's not your lane to speak on. It's a lane to like understand. Right. And so, um, you know, accepting that this isn't my reality, it's someone else's reality is probably like one of like the most important things to do. And then seeking to try to um understand and, and develop a greater sense of awareness is incredibly important for anybody who's going to do any type of anti-racist work. Sure. Um, but especially social emotional it's like you you really to an extent you do want to empathize but at the same at the same time um you want to be able to create spaces and build protocols that are going to give students tools to fight against um those things and are going to help them to manage um you know those feelings when they arise
0: no doubt and I, and I think that you know you were talking about um, policing, and I would imagine that if you bring it down to the level of students, uh, reactions to how they are addressed by adults in the school setting, you know, by administrators, um, you know, how they how how adults react to situations in which perhaps rather than a conversation, it's a suspension. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, things of that nature, that certainly has, has, I think, a relationship to um, racial trauma. And, you know, that, I, I think, you know, exacerbates um, that situation. For sure.
1: Like, so there were, um, I, I would say on social media, there was, there were all of these parallels. And um, I think that there are some pieces that kind of align, like police on the street, like, um operate in the same way that teachers do in the classroom, right? Um, and so um so like one of the examples I use is like I, I specifically used an example of a police officer yelling, right? Because mm-hmm. they have a um they have a level of authority. Um they have a certain position um in society and they, they do have a level of power, right? Like if they choose, they could then end someone's life. So even them yelling um could trigger could trigger a response within a person. Yelling is something you know that a teacher might use in order to try to like control or, or manage a classroom or control or manage a student that could then elicit that same response. Right. Um, and um, I say um, 10 out of nine times, it's not necessary. If there is an active emergency and it's like, we need to like clear the space and the level of uh, noise is so that you have to need it for that emergency, it's probably the only time that you really need to raise your voice at a student. Other than that, yelling is unnecessary. And that's it. since, and so this is also important, but so we know like our teaching staff is 83%, right? So again, like there's that Uh, positionality and there's that identity, like this person is then yelling, demeaning, condescending, those aren't going to create the safe conditions in which students are going to be able to thrive, feel safe, and learn.
0: Yeah, which kind of leads me to the, the, the idea and then a question. So this whole notion of standardizing social emotional learning and creating these standards. And I always immediately think in terms of when we say standards, well, what are you basing the standards on? So I guess the question is, how can how could standardization of SEL how can that be a negative in regards to Black and Brown children? How how can that be problematic?
1: So there are some. So earlier I said um, you know like mm-hmm. SEL is this huge umbrella. So like under mm-hmm. SEL, um, there's like uh, programs or you know practices that are designed to teach like. Uh, growth mindset, there's like pro-social, there's a character ed, there's like just you know, anything that's going to help to promote the emotional and mental well being. So you have all you have like all these different programs. So I, I, I saw this one program and it um offered to reduce the school to prison pipeline. And it said students who participated in this program were, I don't remember the numbers, but like they were less likely um to be incarcerated if the point of your program is to prevent students from going to jail, you've already stereotyped them. You've already kind of assumed like this program that we're saying is designed for this population is to prevent them from going to jail. It assumes that there's something wrong with the kid yeah. Right. And it doesn't not with the system. Anti-racist SEL says like, look, there's a lot of really, really messed up things in society. And there are things that that are going to trigger you. There are things that um, are going to assume that you are less than. And when those things happen, here's how you, one, maintain yourself and then <sighs> and then how you respond to it.
0: Well, so it's a uh, deficit approach. Right. I mean, it's a deficit. Model, right. Right. Really.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. So when, when you standardize SEL, it's it's almost like you know schools can buy like different programs based on their dem- demographics, but the standardization is always going to be well. Let's um, th- it's it's going to be normed towards whiteness, like white values, middle class, um, you know, um, ways of thinking and being, and then it's like well, for the people who aren't in that group, how can we get them to be like that group?
0: Yeah, and you know, I, I we've been doing some work in in um, co-design and you know bringing bringing community really truly empowering and bringing the community into you know really kind of des- redesigning education. This is another conversation, but it's kind of the same thing in that you know unless you have everybody at the table really having input to what these standards are, right? Everybody meaning everyone, you know, all different. People from all different backgrounds, races, ethnicities, et cetera. If you don't have people at the table to create that, um, then you're 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 creating a system that's really kind of one-dimensional, and it's right. bound to it's bound to create uh, additional problems. I shouldn't say it's going to create problems on itself because it's meant to it's designed to help to address existing issues, right? But then it just exacerbates some of them.
1: Right. And so I think that goes back to like, you know, that initial article that I was reading that sleepless night, like when SEL is used to police, it's right. like, then it's really been just used to control and to say like some of the aspects um, of your identity or you or who you are, or how you express yourself, like let, let's get rid of those and then let's focus on, you know, like. Uh, sitting, uh, and I don't want to say like specific behaviors because there's no behavior in and of itself um, that is all you know positive or all negative, but it's like when we prioritize certain ways of acting and certain ways of being, and we know that those ways of acting and being are traditionally aligned with whiteness, then we are then diminishing and devaluing other ways that people may present in various situations. And that is to say, you know, that those those behaviors or those attributes or those characteristics are are less valuable and and aren't welcomed um, in a space.
0: Well, a lot of it has to do with how, you know, how you how the the person in power is in in that situation is interpreting, right? I'm if I'm if I I am a white person and if I am a white educator and a, a white student speaks up for with their point of view I might consider that advocacy right if a student of color speaks up I might consider it argumentative exactly right so (laughs) it's how you look at those things how you define them from the position of power you're in that ultimately determines what language we end up associating with that particular behavior even though the behavior itself is is Pretty much neutral, really. It's just right. how we define it.
1: We we look at it and we often pathologize it when we're not familiar with it. And again, because there is that cultural divide in education, it happens, um, it happens pretty readily.
0: Right. Well, I, I really want to get into the tool that you've created or or this listing of framework of tools to promote anti-racist social emotional learning. I'd like if you could, could you discuss your thought process behind why you develop a tool that that is designed in the way that it is? It's really I, I love the fact that it's practice focused. Mm-hmm. Why did you go in that direction versus, you know, I mean, oftentimes things are information is offered to folks in kind of more of a narrative directed right at you, like absorb the the content. This is much more practical. So can you talk about that?
1: Remember initially I said um, in May, there was like this May 24th, there was this one thought of like what it could look like. And then, you know, when we circled back, things had changed a lot. Like the world had changed a lot. Like um, we we weren't going back. There was very little um, conception of returning to school like we had previous left it, previously left that there was a lot more momentum um, being gained for the uprisings. And we were in, at least in New York, we were in this budget crisis and we didn't know, you know, like there, there was just so much uncertainty. And so um, my thought was to give people a tool, right? Because right now, um, collectively, cognitively, we don't really have a whole lot of emotional space and energy to like process the process through things on the education side like that's what we should be doing but everything is changing so quickly that i wanted for educators to have something that they could just kind of pull out and to use now this is for educators it's for adults right Mm -hmm. Um and so the goal is to have um more that are gonna be specific to um, specific grade levels to you know grade level bands. But right. this was just to kind of um provide adults with like some of the ways that they could then use these protocols or tools um with their students um if they wanted to modify it from what was here. When I was a first year teacher, I remember feeling Completely overwhelmed, and I'm not saying like it. You know, um, this is only for first-year teachers. But when when you're introduced to something new, it's like there's so much there that it can just be kind of difficult to kind of think like where where should I start? What should I do? And so you know, I I always believed in like having as many tools in your tool bag that you can readily go to because um, maybe something doesn't work, and it's like oh, here's another tool. Here's something sure. else I can try. Um, and you know, again, you know. We, we are in, a, in in education, we're in a period of crisis right now. Um, I can say I have a few privileges. Um, so as far as, you know, anti-racist SEL, um, I know there's been a lot of momentum towards anti-racist practice theory and thought, but, you know, I've always kind of practiced from a lens of like, I'm going to do the best that I can by my black and brown students. And that's not to say I don't serve my other students, but I just, I, I am very particular about You know ensuring that their needs are met and so this is something that like i said has been a passion of mine for a really really long time and so it was really easy for me to just kind of put some things down that people could could then use as a means of hurdle help and then also you know to have like kind of like a longer narrative that required like more reflection and more thought what's best done in community right Um, And so the more that I can process with somebody, the more that I can dialogue with somebody, the more that I can kind of like think through things, the better that I'm gonna be able to implement it. So to just put something out there which people are kind of gonna like like have on their own, um, may not have the same outcomes of, okay, this is something that I'm going to try and maybe other people are gonna try also. And then at least we can have some kind of discussion about the process or we can have some kind of discussion about outcomes. Um, so, you know, there definitely is a thought to have something that's, you know, more comprehensive and more complex. I wanted just to kind of create something that people can be like, oh, I'm good to go.
0: Yeah, well, and it looks like also that there are um, some tools that are, that kind of promote, as you said, you uh, community and, you know, like circles, you know, bringing people together to have those conversations. And then you have other tools that are more, I think, individual and, and Mm -hmm. more intimate in, in, you know, in terms of kind of self-reflection and, you know, really, you know, looking at kind of like, I like the the metacognitive journaling where you're, you know, you're really kind of, you know, ultimately you're kind of tracking your own thinking as you're going through exactly. an experience, which I don't think we all, we often do, right? We tend to just kind of, we just kind of react and react. You know, we, we just, it's a, it's a day of reacting to things, yeah. not really kind of thinking about how we're thinking and how we are reacting and, and kind of looking at ourselves in that process. So I like that mix. Um, is that mix intentional?
1: Uh, For sure. So um I, you know, um circles is just like a great way to build community. They are relatively easy. Can you mess a circle up? Sure you can. Um, but if you are going in um with the right intention, um, and I would say, you know, a little bit of planning and just in terms of like how are you going to capture the ideas, how are you willing to honor, you know, what people have said, um, you know, that's kind of important, but it, it requires relatively little. Prep work ahead of time. um, Now, and so I I do also want to say this. So there are um, there's some amazing training for restorative community circles um, that I would definitely recommend. But um, you know, circles are it's 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 a indigenous practice. Like we're just going to come together and we're going to find out where our commonalities are, and we're going to find out you know where you know uh, we can support each other. Um, and you know, how we can use that to support our work. That's that's a a very, very basic practice. So yeah, that part was definitely intentional. Um, the metacognitive journaling. So one really, um, I would say the most important aspect of any SEL practice is self-awareness. How am I coming into this space? Right. What am I intending to do during this time? Um, and then what did I get from, you know, this experience? Um, because if, if we're not aware of that, then we're not really fully present or engaged, and if we're not fully present or engaged, how then can we expect our students to be? So right. it's kind of like developing that practice for ourselves so that we can pass it on to our students. So three to one, that that one, um, I I'm hoping that uh, you know uh, some teachers recognize that, like, oh yeah, I use that like when I'm doing reading instruction, right? right. Um, because 321 is something that you can use in in several different contexts. Um, And, you know, people can find, you know, things that they want, information that they want to pull out of, you know, their group. And then again, use it with your students. Um, And then connect to purpose. I feel like your anti-racism work has to be connected to your purpose. You know, just wake up one day and say like, you know what, I won't put myself out there, and you know, I want to, you know, take on this this mantle, which is somewhat controversial, and people don't really agree with, and I might be attacked for it, and it, you you just don't do that. So, you know, having a clear and if you did, like you you're probably not doing it right. Um. So, um, the connect to purpose was like, why am I going to commit to being an anti-racist um, educator, anti-racist practitioner? so that I have like a grounding place, so that when the attacks do come, or when I do make a mistake, I have that to go back to, like, this is why I'm here, and this is why I'm working on it, and then I think if, so if you do a connect purpose for yourself, that's really important, but then if you share it with the community, and it's like, this is our collective, these are our collective goals, then you're, again, reinforcing the community, and you are um, creating a system of accountability also. Um, so they were definitely intended, you know, for both individual and collective goals, but anti-racism is all about the community and it's all about moving as a collective. Um, that's really, really, it's it's a key value and tenet um, within, you know, Afrocentric practice.
0: Well, I'm glad that you you kind of clarified that because... Yeah, I, I, the next thing that I wanted to talk about and is really like language choice, you know, and I mean, uh, one of the things I think is confusing for people a lot of times is that a lot of different words and terms are thrown around as if they all mean the same thing. And I'm sure you, you chose anti-racist as uh, a term versus say culturally responsive mm. for a reason yeah uh so what was what was the thinking behind that i mean you kind of defined anti-racism for us but like what what's what was the thinking behind selecting that particular word
1: um so being culturally responsive incredibly important right um most of our white teachers are responsive to white students um most of our teachers Learn like these are the ways that uh, these are this is this is what that val- is valued in um, African American um, cultures. This is what va- is valued in um, Caribbean cultures, and so um, you start to respond to students based on you know that training or that understanding. Anti-racism is not simply responding to students based on who they are it's dismantling the systems and the structures that perpetually oppress and limit Black and Brown identities. So um, so sometimes when we think about culturally responsiveness, it's I'm going to respond to you, but I'm not going to break down the systems that are limiting you. Um, so like I can respond to, um, the child who, um, may have an outburst in class, but I'm not then going to stop doing those things that are causing the outburst. Um, or I'm not going to, um, get rid of, you know, the policy or practice that may have made you upset. I'm going to respond to you, but I'm I'm not going to get rid of that. Um, so anti-racism is is really about examining our systems and our structures, and then when we think about it, um, when we think about SEL, it is then giving the students um, the tools also also to break that down. Um, and I feel like there was a second part of your question you asked about language.
0: Yeah, you know, like the precision of language, and you know, we we you know, I think people uh, choose certain words for certain reasons and yeah. you know and also you know um i think they you know different people have different definitions of certain words right so i i think you know there's an intent behind why you selected anti-racism here and i and i like i i think you know your your description of you know going beyond the individual to systems and structures to dismantling systems and structures i think is important because it says that the work that that needs to be done is not just on an individual level, but it's it, we all have a responsibility not only to to work on our on ourselves, but we have to work on systems and structures that ultimately perpetuate um, racism and you know the inequities that we see in our society. So um, yeah, so if you could talk a little bit more about precision of language and 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 how that fits into this you know, work that you're, that you're doing here? I think that's, that's important.
1: Yeah. So, um, so words are incredibly powerful, you know, to your point um, in addition to like the accepted meaning of a word. um, So words also carry social and psychological understanding. Um, and so it's like, so, for, okay. So for example, I'm going to use one and I'm just going to scroll Um, so in the Metacognitive Journal, it says, how will I make space for marginalized identity? Right. And so, um, there is some like pretty precise understanding about marginalized identity, um, marginalized identities. Um, and so it's like with that, the way that I often kind of like the broad view, like definition, like any identity that is protected by a law or policy, like how am I going to make space for that identity. And so um, that was important for me to include here because, you know, um, anti-racist work shouldn't just be limited to spaces where there are um, Black and Brown people. Like we should all be committed to anti-racist work. So I could have there just said, how will I make space for a Black or Brown person? Well, maybe in this particular moment, um, there aren't any Black or Brown spaces because of the way that our, our education system is set up. So again, remember, I, I made this for adults, But if I can think about, you know, marginalized identities and I start to think about like, there are whole groups of people that our country, our our society has historically limited um, and have been, um, you know, kind of pushed to the bounds of like conversation, decision-making, influence and power. And if I'm aware of that, then I start to act in an anti-oppressive way. But then when I'm in in a space with other black and brown people, I'm aware, okay, so there may be this structure here that I need to consider. Um, there may be this practice that I need to be um, that I, I may need to you know be aware of and be an advocate against or to, to be someone who's going to say like this is wrong. I tried to make the language specific to anti-racism because of where we are as a nation. We really do need to focus on how black and brown people have been uh, disenfranchised since we've been been brought here. But I also did wanna make it open enough where people can really think about anti-oppression on all levels. And so, um, but the questions here, like they're not exhaustive. The activities obviously are not exhaustive. But they are some things and some ideas that I think kind of lend themselves to a community and to creating cohesion among people. But I think some of the language um, where there could be questions could also lead to discussion and it could lead to um, spaces where people could kind of support each other in helping um, other people understand it. So, when i when I showed this to you know some of my friends and just to kind of like review like what are your thoughts is something that would be useful, um, that was like the one thing that they pulled out um the marginalized identities. um but in terms of, you know the 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 vocabulary and the processing, everyone kind of felt like these are things that I should be thinking about or I should be um kind of doing anyway. and because this topic and these words aren't front and center all the time. I don't. And so those were kind of my thoughts, like Mm -hmm. when wording and like phrasing the different activities.
0: Well, definitely. I think, I think it's important. Uh, And I'm glad that again, you shared how you were thinking this through, because I think it's important for people to understand a lot of times we read things and we interpret it the way that we interpret it as the reader um, not necessarily understanding where the person who created this was coming from in the first place. So I think it's it's helpful to to hear uh, you know what your thoughts were and that you ran you know you were re- running this by other people to get their reactions and to get a sense for how you know certain words might ultimately um, be interpreted or or be uh, addressed you know by a person who is you know going through this training so i think that's really important so uh what's your you know i want to kind of like bring this around to i i, I like to to you know kind of finish things off in a in a you know hopeful and and you know looking forward to the future kind of way so what are your hopes regarding uh the outcome of this project i mean you know uh i'm sure you're you're looking forward to you know, implementing and, and helping to put these practices to work. What do you hope to have happen? Um so uh one of my
1: hopes would to would be um to continue to build community around anti racist SEO. Like that's just how this kind of initially started. It was just like a conversation online um to you know then you know talking with other people you know figuring out um you know how they support um students um and the people that they're working with, but then also like how can we support each other? So I think that's really important is to realize um anti-racist SEL. We think about social emotional learning in school, but again, everything that falls under that umbrella are things that we're doing every day in practice in and in, in, in our lives. Right. Um, and then um another hope would be um, to continuously add um, tools to teachers tool bags. So like I said, that first year of, you know, you know, just starting anything, it's just kind of like, what do I do? Where do I go? And so like the more things that, you know, people have to try, the more comforted they feel and knowing like, all right, well, if this doesn't work, it's okay, because I have, I have this to fall back on. Right. Um, or, you know, I, I can, you know, Uh, tweak it and and do this, or maybe I can add this to it, and so uh, definitely to add more tools, um, sharing tools, um, you know, um, I think uh, educators um, are more successful, um, are less likely to burn out when we are in community, and we can share like, yeah, this went really, nah, don't do that. that, that didn't work so good. So I think um, you know, creating space to like share what what worked really really well, um, and um, my I would say my greatest hope is for people to realize that um, you know social emotional learning um, when done with a lens of um, criticality and starts from self and self awareness um, is really a healing process. Um, If we recognize all of the ways that, you know, we kind of go throughout our day um, just doing things because, you know, uh, a supervisor told us to or we had to meet this deadline, ways that, you know, we're not being entirely mindful or conscious, then we're not entirely mindful or conscious of how we're harming people in the process. Um, And so if we are doing, if we're thinking about our social emotional practice for our students, we're really thinking about how do I manage what's going on with me? How do I model that? How do I teach that? And then what systems, structures and spaces do I create so that my students also have this safe affirming and healing space? So my greatest hope would be like, People wouldn't run from the word anti-racist, and um, they, you know, wouldn't think that it's like some way to divide people. But to realize, like, there's healing in recognizing all of the harm that's being caused by how we currently operate, and taking a moment to step back and to realize that is beneficial um, for everyone, but especially for the people who are most harmed.
0: Well, I think that's really uh, well said. And I think that you you know really brought us full circle. You started this off with a big picture about humans and and you know human development and growing as humans, uh, you know social emotionally. And you brought us right back to that with th- this whole notion of healing and it being a a healing process. And really, I think, in some respects, almost an awakening for for people too. Um, and so I appreciate you kind of bringing that all together for us. I look forward to, um, you know, CASDA working with you and Common Thread to help move forward, uh, this work that you're doing. I think it's, it's really going to have great impact in a very positive way. And so we're looking forward to, to that work. And, um, uh, we hope that we will be able to have another conversation with you at some point in the future about, uh, this sure. topic and others and again appreciate your time we know you're really really busy so appreciate you taking some time out to talk with us today and again thanks to you and common thread and um thanks thanks to everybody who's listening today so uh we're going to sign off and uh talk to you next time
1: thank you